Welcome to Tomorrow's Tech Today, bringing you the latest in technology, talent and transformational change. With me, your host, Professor Sally Eaves. Hi everyone and a very warm welcome to a Tomorrow's Tech Today special feature all about the social impact of digitalization. We're going to explore the key dimensions of trust and ethics in digital services. What are the indicators of trustworthy companies, the people and the skills factors that make a difference and the maturity of industries regards to digital trust. And to dive into this critical conversation, I'm delighted to be joined by Bianca Scheffler, who is Director of Data Culture and Innovation at Swiss Ray, one of the world's leading providers of reinsurance, insurance, and other forms of insurance-based risk transfer. Welcome, Bianca. Hey, welcome, Sally. Nice to talk to you. Oh, likewise. Thank you. And before I dive into, say, our four pillars of conversation around trust today, could you just take a moment to share with the audience a bit more about yourself and your role at Swiss Ray? Yes, exactly. Thanks Thanks for asking. So um, I'm working for Swiss Re for about six years, but my whole profession, it was in the data and computer science area. I studied computer science. I studied artificial intelligence and the time was, was not so common to be used in industries and within companies. So I'm really grateful today still working in this profession. Um, from the work perspective, you know, I've touched base on many, many different areas, like working with data, working with analytics. But right now, the focus on data culture is really like, how can we take all the people with us to really transform that they are starting using this data, that they are being comfortable using this technology, and they understand what it is to operate with algorithms, because this will be uh, in the nowadays work, the future, uh, and in our business uh, main focus. I couldn't agree more. So let's dive straight into that. So, so our first pillar of discussion today, all around trust and ethics and how to install that in digital services. So people want to know how and why they can trust companies with their data. It's kind of the prerequisite really for modern business today, isn't it? So what would you say are the three pillars maybe to establishing trust today? So uh, establishing trust, I think, needs to go a little bit wider because that's something, nothing you can install. It just doesn't happen like this. So the first aspect it is, you know, you need to look on your processes. You need to look on what do you actually do with data? And I think you need to transparently share this with your clients, with your partners, and of course, as well with your employees and have an open conversation about, you know, what are the mandates you do within this area? I think that's, that's pretty much important. I couldn't agree more. And that choice of word around install was deliberate for that very reason. Because I think language matters so much around this as well, isn't it? You know, we talk about embedding things by design. That's a step-by-step process, absolutely around process and culture. And also with your new research that, that's coming out around trust as well. I think the three pillars you mentioned there about reliability, security and safety go such a long way to, to helping to develop that. So I couldn't agree more. So talking a bit more about data culture, what are you seeing as some of the thoughtful processes and the culture? factors that can make a difference to help building this level of trust. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks, thanks for asking. And I think we uh, we are as well on a way of experimenting things and really trying out what really is needed. But we are looking really uh, a little bit wider, not only on education. Education is a base pillar. You need to 
be prepped and you need to prep your employees and as well, you know, the, the, the people surrounding uh, with the right skills and the right mindset. But it starts already in the engagement aspect. I mean, do you talk about analytics and data? Do you share what's possible, what's out there and what you're going to do and maybe learn from each other different areas of business or even different companies learning from each other? So bringing up this in a discussion point, uh, you know, providing platforms where you really can exchange. So the engagement is a really uh, important aspect. Education I mentioned already, and this can vary. There are people with non-tech background would like to deep dive into data skill set. What do I need to do to care for data, to, to carve out a data project? What are the important aspects to look at? And the last piece, I think that's something which we are really experimenting a lot because you can give theoretical knowledge to someone. You can send somebody to a class, but what you really can do to start implementing using this in day-to-day -day work and this we call empowerment sessions we send people to data camps we want to bring people together and really explore and try out working in a different way and this we need to facilitate a little bit because as we all know we all did great courses we got great certificates but to really change something in the way i work day to day it needs a little bit more trying out and a little bit more courage to really do these things Absolutely. It's that learning by doing, isn't it? The, that work of John Dewey, I often quote around that as well. It makes a huge difference. The hackathon you've got coming up you know, later on the year, I think is a great example of that practical support in doing that as well. And absolutely data literacy skills are all levels of the organisation. Some, some other research I, I'm, I'm familiar with that came out early April was also showing that you know, organisations that didn't invest in that, um, the top three reasons for digital transformation failure were all around digital skills and lack of readiness or perceived lack of readiness around that for individuals within teams. So hugely, hugely important. I couldn't agree more. So we look at some of the principles around this, you know, how can we ensure that data is treated appropriately? And how can we do more to strengthen data literacy? You mentioned a few examples of that already, but perhaps we bring those two elements together. I, I think what's as well important to look at from an end-to-end -end point of view, yes. because in the past it was like more one department was caring for exactly this part of the value chain. But we are an organization, we need to bring people together, working from every aspect on the same data set, on the same processes, etc. And this is like really working in cross-functional teams, bringing the data science very closely to what they are we to work on in the business and what is really essential to the business users who maybe have never had a touch point with how the data and how the algorithms are used in the past. And I think fostering this collaboration and really utilizing all the data assets across the value chain, because in the past, maybe you had only access to a specific data asset, but now we wanna make people exploring all the different kind of assets which are available to make you make more meaningful insights or making better decisions along the way. I think you need to explore on all the sides, on one side end to end of the process, bringing people together, but as well exploring on all the data assets which are available to truly utilize uh, uh, for, for better outcomes. Absolutely. It's access that right data at the right time, isn't it? I think the integration piece around that, that visibility of all the different data sources that are available. And as you mentioned already, that empowerment of education to give people that not just access to skills, but the skills confidence to apply that availability of knowledge as well, I think is huge. That agency to make change happen. I think that's brilliant. Fantastic stuff. So if we look a bit in more detail now, so that our second pillar, as I'll phrase it, around how can we tell, you know, what are the indicators of companies that show that they're trustworthy today? We've got a lot of talk at the moment around different forms of data regulation, but is that really enough? Is it enough just to comply with that? And also looking beyond that, are you seeing that trust can now be actually the new you know, driver of competitive advantage between organisations today? Yeah. 
Uh, thanks for asking. I think that's that's something which we are exploring at Swissery, but I think in the wider industry, that's something to be discussed. I think something more than just being compliant to a regulatory or to a law, I think there must be more things happening. Uh, if I'm a person, I would like really to know about the company I'm trusting my data with, how they're going to be acting on this data. What are their main values? What are their main principles? This can be much wider than just the regulator or a law enforcement is requiring from this company. And I think being open as a company about exactly this, what do you do more? What do you do different? And what are the core values you, you act on when you are dealing with the data of your clients, of your partners, and uh, as, as in Swissery of a, a very big industry? I mean, what is this? And I think speaking openly about this is, is the first point. And it needs to be much wider than just the regulatory and the must expect, which is the bare minimum every company needs to do. Absolutely. I think you're spot on. It is that that baseline and people in expectations behaviors have changed so much, I think, particularly over the last two years. Um, now, I was read, reading something around like a 17 year benchmark around trust. And it was saying for the first time that consumers are looking for big business enterprise to be the leaders, the bastions of trust, so to speak, even more so than they do around governments or even NGOs at the moment. So there's a definite you know, responsibility, shared ecosystem responsibility around this to do more. And you're absolutely right. Regulation is kind of the base point to start from it's not it's not the end destination so to speak so i think that's absolutely spot on so looking at kind of how you define the quality of data so what would you kind of add to that piece you know what is quality data and how can we better maintain data integrity to help us build that trust and you know, make the most of the assets that we have around data yeah I think the base assumption in the past, which has changed to now, is like in the past, we were just confronted with data and we started using this. Now the consciousness needs to turn about, okay, what is this data really telling us? We all know uh, data is has a lot of biases because it's captured by humans who have, by nature, a bias uh, uh, within. And we have seen tons of examples where algorithms trying to uh, make wrong decisions or really detecting wrong things just because they learn from a different aspect uh, which was you know, included in, in the data. So it really starts on not only looking on how we're processing the information or which data we put together. I need to really, really start to really lay out the foundation. Okay. What is the values again we would like to act on and really uh, start debiasing the data. I think there when it starts quality, of course, we know the quality frameworks, which are inevitable. You know, it needs to be complete. It needs to be really comprehensive and it needs to be on time and all the dimensions. But as well, the bias aspect, specifically when it comes to really start deriving really decisions out of a data set, I think we really need to be better on really quantifying and qualifying this aspect to really look on which data we are using, how do we put it together and which data we want to put together to really derive these insights. And I think the bias aspect is something we all need to learn much more on. So, so true. There's a, one of my, my phrases is change the narrative. And I think around algorithms and bias, you bring up a really good point there around human biases as well. And the last time I looked at the research around that, it was well over 180 different forms of human bias have been identified. So we have to look at that aspect equally. I think that's absolutely spot on. So great point. Well made there, I think. And you also brought up about you know, different standards and kind of value work that's been going on at the moment. Could you point out a few examples for people to look at that you think are kind of leading the way? So one obviously I would imagine we could bring to the fore straight away is the new digital trust label. I think a great step forward for the industry, but it'd be great to share a few practical examples for people to follow up on about where to look at around standards that are making a difference today. 
Absolutely. Uh, thanks for asking. And I think internally, we really uh, exchange a lot about this with the industry, but as well within Swissery. And yeah, you mentioned the publication, which is soon coming out, but there's an active conversation ongoing between experts, uh, you know, within Swissery, where we are understanding what are the different aspects of governance and really control we need to put in place. We need all the experts on one table and we need to leverage all the competencies. So we need to do uh, peer reviews. We need to have a very clear review on when we are using data, when we are exposing models. How's the model review done? I mean, who can do this? And what are, again, here the dimensions we would like to look at? And I think that's, again, uh, bringing people together from a different viewpoints, a different mindset, uh, and as well, collaborating on one goal, having the most effective and trustworthy uh, decision-making processes and algorithms uh, within our area. I think that's fantastic. The power of dialogue, isn't it? Absolutely. And making sure all those different voices are being heard. And, and again, from a research point of view, it's kind of this quadruple, quintuple um, helix model. I'd advise people to have a look at that as well, because it's a great way to showing you know, the power of the ecosystem to make a difference and, and help support advancements in this area. And I'd also put a shout out as well. Here's something we discussed before about the Trust Over IP Foundation as well. Another great example of different organisations coming together to help build leadership in this space. So great to see the class collaborative efforts in this area and obviously yourself leading the way there also from a research point of view which is so so important to underpin change. Another area I'd love to look at is this link between cyber resilience and trust, particularly digital trust. But do you think we should be talking more about this and how that one affects the other? I think there's a real you know, complementary strength between the two and building up both together. Uh, I think definitely there, there's definitely a link and, uh, you know, looking on cyber, I mean, the threats, if you just see the past five years, it has completely changed the industry and it has completely changed as well how serious we are, you know, taking the whole cyber topic and cyber, the being vulnerable as a company, being vulnerable, that data get exposed. I mean, we know all the data breaches, uh, publications, which have been out there, big companies, you know, get into really challenging, uh, uh, situations due to cyber attacks, etc. as well, the whole industry about how cyber attacks coming along. I mean, who are the people behind this and what are their motivations? Is it monetary based or is it even information based, etc. cetera, uh, governments uh, or secret services, etc. So there's a huge thing going on in this industry. And as a company, you want to ensure that still the data, the information you're trusting with the company is in a secure place. So you need to invest on the one side, again, as similar as we uh, discussed already, you know, be transparent with your clients, be transparent with your partners about this. But on the other hand, I mean, imagine the competence you need to have in-house to really understand the cyber topics, really being uh, as, as secure as possible, uh, having, having our information and data as safe as possible for our clients, but as well for our own intellectual property. Absolutely. So, so true. And I recommend for the audience as well, looking at things around zero trust practices. And again, it's not something you can just kind of buy off your shelf. This is something that's all around investment in technology, culture, process and skills is bringing all those elements together as well. So I recommend taking a look at that. I love what you there were saying about kind of the sharing aspect of this. So, so important. Because again, one of the aspects around cybersecurity, I think that's changed so much recently is actually how much bad actor collaboration has been going on that's affected you know, the sophistication and scale of threats 
as well. So, again, the more we can do that as the good guys, you know, coming together to negate these threats is really powerful as well in terms of that open sharing. So great, great points there, Bianca. Thank you. Um, another kind of segue I'd like to go into as well about relationships is the relationship between higher sustainability standards and instilling digital trust. I definitely see a connection there in a number of ways, actually, but I'd love your take first on how you see that particular relationship. Uh, absolutely. I mean, as a company in the reinsurance, and I think we exchanged earlier on this, I mean, we are really caring for the big risks, you know, threatens this world. Sustainability and everything around, you know, the environment uh, is very close to our values and as well to what we are doing. We would like to really keep this planet, our environments and our society as safe as possible. So for us, it's inevitable to bind sustainability with the level of trust uh, industries, companies, and as well individuals ha have in us. Uh, sustainability is here as well. Uh, you maybe have heard about the, the recent news on greenwashing, etc. So we really hear, going back to data, we need to find the right KPIs to what is really the label or the KPIs to, def to define if a company is really on an ESG, you know, good path or what are the things a company needs to install or to work on? What are the, uh, the control mechanisms on all these KPIs and data? And once we have a very trustful uh, uh, environment, I think we really need to be mindful with our partners, with our clients and saying, okay, this is our goal, how we can all contribute together to achieve this goal because we as a reinsurance industry have a big interest to really keep uh, our environment safe and the climate change uh, uh, risks to, you know, uh, to a minimum as possible. Absolutely. And, and again, I think I certainly see a link between um, communities, for example, that are more disadvantaged around inclusion, um, also around sustainability, particularly around climate and pollution, but also around security risks as well. Actually, those three points are, are also really well congregated. So it's absolutely hugely significant. And the point you made there as well around, around sustainability, another aspect about that I think is important too, is you know, how consumers are reacting to organisations around their investments, around trust, around sustainability, around inclusion, around kind of all things SDG related in many sense. And people are starting to walk away you know, from organisations that don't feel have that values alignment. And it's really interesting. I, I saw something about brand love that came out recently. And effectively, it was showing that you know, traditional kind of bastions around that was, for example, around you know, product efficiency or customer service or aesthetic or look of the product or all sorts of different dimensions like that but values alignment was equal um, and if not more so particularly in certain demographical areas so it's absolutely significant absolutely key and a huge driver going forward so kind of the rise of shared value business as I would like to call it so thank you really really important points there so let's move on to our third pillar so let's look at the people the skills elements in a bit more detail you know what is needed to help support trustworthy digital services I'd love to focus a little bit on mindset how would you describe you know what an optimal data mindset looks like <laughs> Thanks for, for mentioning this. And when people think about mindset, they all think it's about, you know, a process which happens into the brain. But uh, it needs to be installed in the behaviors we have. In the behavior I have, how do I behave correctly? But there is no no list, no checklist who gives me, you know, the right, you know, like here behave you like this and here you behave like this. It's about really, in, you know, implementing this data literacy, implementing new skills, and as well, a lot of new soft skills to really be courageous, ask courageous questions 
questions, being open to challenge each other. And uh, you mentioned the diversity aspect, which I think is for the mindset topic, uh, you know, a very important part, because we are, as humans, we are diverse. Every one of us is a unique person, and we know all the diversity dimensions, you know, uh, DE&I circles are looking at, being it gender, ethnicity, uh, neurodiversity, age groups. There are many, many, many different, but we are, as humans, we are diverse, but how can we really truly live inclusion and how can we embed this into all of our values? I think this is where then the right mindset can be developed because it needs to be based on the values and it needs to include each and every diverse talent we have uh, on the radar. I could not agree more strongly. Absolutely spot on. And we all know it, don't we? I know the research backs it up. But we all know it on a personal level. You know, any team that we're in, if we've got that diversity of experience, perspectives, backgrounds, I love the fact that you've highlighted neurodiversity there because I don't think it gets talked about enough and so, so important. But we all know, you know, creativity is better. The risk of implicit bias is reduced. Productivity, satisfaction, you could go on and on with that list, but everything works much better if we're doing that. So I think the points you make there about mindset are huge. And I kind of look at it from the STEAM perspective as well. You know, we talk about STEM a lot, don't we? Which absolutely is critical. But I think we need to kind of start moving beyond that and focusing on kind of the STEAM mindset, if you will. So arts in its broader sense. So equal value to STEM and the arts. So things like curiosity, um, emotional intelligence, empathy, etc. Again, really important and linked very well into that, that trust um, subject that we're focusing on today as well. So great points there. So when we look at the, the data analytics area in more detail and the talent that, that makes that up, where do you think we can have and how can we educate people more around the ethics piece within this? You know, I mentioned empathy and, and the STEAM skills possibly part of this, but where are you seeing people gain these skills the most? Where else can we go with that to support them? Yeah. Thanks for asking this. And, uh, you know, as a company who are not that known for data and technology, I think that's the important aspects you're bringing on because we have really a strong need for talents, you know, in the data analytics area. Uh, when you're joining Swissery, and I think it's uh, similar as you're joining each and every company, I think even as a purely technical data as or analytics expert, you need to tap into the uh, outgoing business knowledge surrounding the case. And I think that's sometimes uh, a really new look on when you start learning something technical to apply it you again need to go into a learning curve you need to apply different knowledge different skill set which again you mentioned the empathy means connecting with different people connecting with different people from different areas etc to rebroaden my knowledge to really become effective as a data scientist or as a data analytics expert you really need to know your domain before you start applying, you know, your expertise to it. And on the other side, you know, I welcome always business people. It's like this curiosity you mentioned. I mean, yeah, there are data scientists and you hear all the buzzwords about machine learning and artificial intelligence, but as well on the business side, I mean, be courageous and learn from the experts. Uh, start learning this terminology, start learning what's behind it, and then you maybe even can help on the halfway to the data scientists to really beautiful uh, outcomes and solutions. Absolutely. And I'd also add to that as well, in, in so many of these types of careers as well, the diversity of skills that makes a difference in these roles is huge as well. So then they're not all just about technology skills as well. So many different roles and teams around data science that can contribute to really successful outcomes. So again, I stress that. And for everybody listening and watching as well, take a look at 365. It's all around visibility of role models right across this area. So hopefully there's something for you that help inspire you. You can see yourself in that particular type of role as well. So it's just a shout out for that series too because I think it's really really important 
So perhaps we can chill a little bit more again on this skills piece, what was traditionally called soft skills, which I think need renaming, frankly, uh, the essential skills for life, I would reframe them as. But traditionally, they're not measured in the same way, you know, don't lead to direct output, for example. So how are you seeing the incentives for organisations to invest more in the social soft skills or STEAM skills, maybe we'll call them that? Uh, good that you mentioned investment because investment can mean a lot and investment can be, you know, as we know it, a financial investment, but specifically on the soft skills, I think it's, it's a time investment we need to, to take. Specifically after the corona pandemic, a lot of people are within their home office, within, you know, uh, online connections, you know, we have lost really these personal connections and the time investment, bringing teams together, bringing people again together to exchange, building them on platforms and giving them the time to build on each and every other's ideas, learning from each other. Learning is not a linear path. It just doesn't happen that here is the first step and there's the second step and there's the third step. Learning is really gradually due to experience. And we need to create environments where this experience can really flourish. And you mentioned these these soft skills. I mean, soft skills sound so soft, but it's the most hardest to do because it has something to do with our own vulnerability. I mean, going out there, tapping into new areas, just talking to a stranger or taking a new way to approach something. I think these are all things which we all not feeling natural, comfortable with, but just this one step out of the comfort zone is developing exactly these skills, which I, I must say really are hard to acknowledge. But as a, as a company and as well, you know, industry, we need to form, as I mentioned, environments where this can naturally happen and we can give this little push to people to explore this. Absolutely. And as I think I mentioned earlier about some research that was showing the biggest barriers to digital transformation success. Again, top three were all around digital skills, perceived lack of readiness, um, feel like a lack of support in the organisation, etc, etc. So they're also another way of looking at that return on investment, the fact that those are the biggest barriers to have actually having success. There's a knock on, you know, output from all of those, you know, barriers not not coming to full fruition. So there is actual concrete outcome from investing this as well. So, so many areas to unpack there. But perhaps we'll look again at the diversity angle on this. Where are you seeing that as a catalyst for digital transformation? And, you know, where there are gaps at the moment as well love to kind of just focus on that in a little bit more detail too. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for mentioning this. And diversity, I've, uh, you mentioned already some publications out there. I think diversity is really, really, really big topic. Uh, working in the techie area for quite a while, often, you know, I'm as well very engaged with, you know, diversity on the gender aspect. But what really is very natural, really important for me is uh, right now the mentioned point on neurodiversity, which I think specifically when you think about technical and data skills, we have made such great experience for example, with uh, people on the autism scale or people with ADHD, you know, they're highly, highly intelligent, highly creative. And when you give them a right environment and you're able to really create this environment in a team and in an area, they can achieve together incredible things. And I think these are just examples how we gradually really change the viewpoints on this whole diversity topic. As I mentioned, every person is diverse and including this, I think really gives you beautiful, really beautiful outcomes. And uh, on the neurodiversity topic, I think there's just a particular area on uh, inclusion, which we have not yet so much experience with, because uh, the picture we have around this are pretty much focusing on the diagnosis. So when we are talking to people and doing awareness, we would like to focus on all the great skills and all the things they bring in, which maybe neurotypical people 
are struggling with. And so we can see there's a great handshake to including everybody uh, specifically on the data and technical skills. That's a big learning we had. I love that. So, so important. Thank you for shining the light on that. I think it's absolutely imperative. I really do. So what we do now as well, perhaps move on to one final aspect for this pillar um, and look at the skill sets that we're looking at here and what that actually means for employer branding today as well as one final point. Uh, That's a very important point because uh, our a company is not so known for the things we actually do in the data analytics space. Uh, so attracting talents is one challenge uh, on the one side. And on the other side is, I mentioned already the areas we're working on, you know, the risk transfer, uh, really understanding the natural catastrophes, man-made disasters, all the things can happening and threatening, I think is the be- best playground for people joining Swissery to really learn about what is the right thing to do. And it starts already not with your employment with a company. I think it starts already, you know, at the university level, at the level of new talents are arising, you know, supporting these platforms like the Young Global Leaders from the University of St. Gallen or others, where we are having, again, environments where people can exchange about ethics, they can learn about ethics. And once they are joining in a company and employer, learning the surroundings, really having already this uh, kind of notion, hey, there are technical skills, but there's a huge thing which I need to bring my, you know, competence to a level to really understand what does it mean for this specific area? What does it mean? And what can I do to really uh, derive the, the best for this? Absolutely. So, so true. And you know, we've got big supply talent gaps in many sectors at the moment, particularly within technology, but it goes across the board. And one of the biggest differentiators I'm seeing there and how people are making decisions around which organisation to join, you know, advocate for, work from, or even to leave, you know, as part of the great resignation conversation that's happening a lot at the moment, is this alignment around this area? Now, what does an organisation stand for? Can I upskill and reskill and develop into new areas? Um, you know, will I have you know, mentoring support? Will I be sponsored? Will be pushed forward even further than that you know are there esg groups around different areas as well so all these elements as part of employer branding but frankly as part of this wider trust conversation and just improving things generally so so vital today so there's a great combination of areas on that pillar so thank you bank i love that thank you for our final section today, let's go out a little bit more and look at the industry ecosystem. So the maturity of the industries today concerning digital trust. Are you seeing a correlation at the moment between a dependency on digital ecosystems and investment in trust? Um, thanks for asking this, Sally. And uh, I think we, our industry, because we are asked, I think we are just at the starting point of really truly living digital ecosystems. We have seen industries where naturally they are already a little bit further. You have all the stories heard about uh, the music industry with Spotify, about the you know uh, uh, movie industry with Netflix. And I think as an insurance and reinsurance industry, we are just at the starting point of truly understanding what these digital ec- uh, ecosystems really can bring for us. On the other side, I see already very courageous. We know the intertech space. We know uh, great platforms, which uh, Swissery is putting into place on really being courageous, doing the first steps out there and openly, you know, getting the partners in this ecosystem on one table and saying, okay, how can we truly benefit the digital ecosystems? And the link to trust is, as we spoke already in the first two chapters, it's about 
have these conversations, being open, you know, get your clients and your partners onto the table and discuss how you can achieve the best outcomes together. And I think the same really applies to ensure trust uh, that these digital ecosystems are here to stay, are sustainable and are being really beneficial to our society as we wanted to outline or as we had outlined in the beginning. That's something which we need to look at and this conversation needs to happen. Absolutely. A dialogue with meaning. I couldn't agree more. And just reflecting on your new research a little bit more, perhaps we can bring things to a close by just kind of reassessing really where the industry stands now and where we can go next. So just drilling into insurance a little bit more. Where are you seeing kind of the current state of play and kind of where do you hope to be if we could return to this conversation in a year's time? Yeah. Uh, thanks for asking this. And uh, naturally, insurance is interestingly an industry where the, the people have not such a direct attachment to. Because if you think about your personal insurance or your own insurance, you think about risks you're exposed with. And we as humans, that's something really we don't naturally do. So this is the one aspect. And the other aspect, and we have seen it just with the recent developments in the society, uh, in on our you know global economy, the risks are getting more and more severe. We are more and more global connected uh, 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 society. We have more and more risks exposed to, and as well, more areas where insurance really can help and uh, be here. And I think that's something, the digital ecosystems, which are now coming out, which can tap into all the different areas where day-to-day -day work and life happens, You know, where people are really collaborating, where people are uh, 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 contributing to, I think, uh, with the ecosystems, we are now having the right segue into exactly playing this crucial role of an insurance company to really secure uh, the risks of individuals and as well different uh, partners. Very well said. I can see a, a trust facilitation, huge role around that, particularly, as you say, you know, over the last two years in particular, we've never had so many different vectors of change on all sorts of angles, you know, from security, we discussed a lot today, in terms of roles of different types of organisations, political, geographical, health, we could go on and on, couldn't we? But the vectors have come together at such speed and scale. Um, supporting people on that journey is absolutely critical. So again, thank you for your work in this area and all the things you're doing that's community-led to support people in skills uplift as well. I think it's hugely, hugely significant. So I think for me, if we bring all these different elements together, we're really seeing kind of the role, obviously, of digital, but also of human trust within this as well. I think there's a necessary and a complementary fit across the two. I think so many things to follow up on and reflect on in more detail, Bianca. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a conversation to return to. I really do think so. Thanks, Ellie. It was a really great pleasure talking to you. And uh, I as well want to thank you for all your work. You know, Tech for Good, I think, is something which is close to both of our hearts. And for this, I really thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you all for watching and listening as well. And what we'll do as part of the show notes is share some more details around upcoming challenges, like the hackathon I mentioned, also some great case studies like Trinity, which is really showing the work that can be done. And also where you can find out more about some of the new research we've mentioned today, in particular, decoding the determinants of digital trust and insurance perspective. It's a really fascinating read with implications for insurance, but many sectors beyond as well. So thank you, Bianca, and thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Tomorrow's Tech Today. If you enjoy what we're doing, please subscribe to us and leave a review. It really means a lot. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram and see more behind the scenes video footage on YouTube. Thanks for listening.